When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Just give me a second. <laughs> God damn it, Remy. Okay. It's Remy's. Remy's rents. Remy and rents. Okay. Okay. Good evening, Rifters. This is Rifts and Rules, the 5e D&D podcast where we go through the many 5e books and talk about various rules to enhance your gameplay experience. I'm Nathan, the Dungeon Master of Riftwike. And I'm Remy, Morris on Riffwick, and today we're here to talk about social contracts, particularly as related to Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition. So, a social contract in general is just an agreement between people of how to do a thing. There is a social contract of society, that is, you're not gonna just go around killing people because jails exist. And narrowed into terms of D&D, it's an agreement of how the game is to be played. It can be long or short. It could just be an informal, yeah, we're, this is okay, don't do that. Or it could be a full actual contract of 10 pages or whatever you want or need. And funny enough, this is one of those very few times where I don't take the long way to do a thing. So it can be as long as long or short as you want. But the basic, basic version is sometimes jokingly referred to as Wheaton's Law for Will Wheaton. Don't be a dick. And yeah, just don't trust your DM, trust your players or fellow players, I guess I should say. And yeah, don't be a dick. Sums it up. Don't. Or. You can go into far more detail, which we're about to do talking about this. So, yeah, trust people. So that is a sentence that simple in theory, potentially much more complicated in practice. So starting from the player side first, actually, when you join a Dungeons and Dragons group, you trust the DM to tell a story that all of you will have fun playing. You trust that they will not put things in front of you that you can't handle one way or another. You trust that they have a story to tell that you will find fun. And from the player to player side, you trust that they're not going to slit your player's throat in your sleep. And you are also expected to not do that because that would be being a dick. But to backtrack a sec. So you can create a formal or informal social contract as soon as you have a group that you know you're going to play with. But you can also just bring it up as a as a topic at any point really if it just occurs to you as a thing you want to do later on or you could bring it up if something comes up 
because sometimes there can be a topic that triggers a person before they even know that that topic would do so. For example, I once played in a game, uh, ongoing campaign. This was not a one shot and a disagreement between the party came up. So when such things happen, it is possible to escalate into combat. It's possible to try to just talk it out. Unfortunately, the way that that was handled in particular, the other person cast the sleep spell. And even though it's supposed to be a 20 foot radius that knocks out the weakest person first, the DM allowed them to just put me to sleep to try to de-escalate the situation. Fine. Not how that spell works, but fine. Unfortunately, the other person did not allow that to end the escalation of the situation, and they decided to pee on my character while they were unconscious and unable to do anything about it. Needless to say, I was not pleased. (laughs) I can imagine. (laughs) Yeah. So this was an ongoing game, multiple sessions in, but after that was allowed to happen, I just left that group because that's fucked. The disrespect in that is just not okay with me. If we were in a situation that was like a slapstick, teehee, potty humor, then maybe that's a situation that could be allowed. But this was a serious game, and I didn't know until it happened that I'm very much not okay with that. So, in theory, a social contract ahead of time could prevent that type of situation because a person should know, don't do that to a person who's supposed to be helping your character. So in that game, I was the healer. Like if I had chosen this day, I would never heal that person again. Why would I ever trust them with anything after they do that? So having some form of agreement, especially just the basics of trust each other and don't be a fuckwit is a good thing. But anyway, sorry, that got me more emotional than I was expecting it to be to retell. All right, moving on. So there's a lot of things that you can have agreements with ahead of time about how to handle. And it is as big or small a topic as you all want it to be. So we're going to go over a good number of things here. But this is in no way all inclusive because, as usual, we are taking a zoomed in focus on the topic. So number one, already mentioned, trust the DM and trust your players. Uh, One more thing I do want to address on that topic. So I did mention that you are trusting the DM to have a fun story for you to explore the other side of that from the DM to the players. If the DM dangles a plot hook, it is generally expected that the players will take the bait because the DM dangling a plot hook like that is them dangling bait in front of you. And 
the expectation is, oh, the DM has something to show me. I would like to see what that is. It should be fun. So when there is a plot hook, bite it, take the bait, see what they want to show you and explore the world that they're trying to show you. If a DM has plot hook after plot hook after plot hook and you just say, nah, I'm just going to hang out at this pub and talk to this barkeep I like, then you're not advancing. You're not doing anything. Part of the social contract of Dungeons and Dragons is that you're expected to be an adventure that goes out and does things. So do that. So another thing, uh, when, how to bring this one up. So exactly how antagonistic, let's say, a dungeon master is supposed to be is a subject for debate. Is the dungeon master the antagonist against the players or are they truly just the game master who is responsible for telling an entertaining story. That is a subject for debate, which is not worth getting into in all honesty, because that's yet another both sides have points. I don't care. But in terms of social contract, there should be an agreement of when the dungeon master makes roles, do the players see the roles? and expanded on that, should a dungeon master fudge rolls for a specific outcome they're looking for? Yes. So my personal opinion of uh, this situation is, generally speaking, I prefer not showing the roles because typically this to some extent, in my opinion, demystifies certain creatures and makes like uh, the uh, attacks against you a, a bit more feasible, like like you can have a different kind of grasp on them than you would have without it. Um, this is more accurate um, for a situation where you have the ability to either know what your player's AC and other checks are, and basically that kind of stuff, and make ensure that you do not uh, reveal what. DCs that they have to meet and such that creates a certain experience that I believe is um, quite good if executed correctly. On the topic of fudge rolls, um, not to say I've not done some of some myself in my own personal games. I've not done on the show before because it's a show, and I it wouldn't it wouldn't be quite right if I did it on the show. But I've done it from time to time in the in my home games where. There were situations where players would have died due to um, me being a really bad balancer of combat encounters and having the player die at the start of a session or having the player lose this character that they've been playing for quite a while, especially in a home home game really isn't my jam it's uh it causes trouble lots of trouble we have to deal with all the repercussions of this kind of situation and it really puts a whole big stop to whatever the party is currently doing and yeah that's <laughs> the one reason why i personally advocate for fudging roles in certain scenarios and this is yet another situation where nathan and i disagree so we've talked before about how Nathan is an inside out DM and I am an 
outside India. There are other types of styles that are also applicable. In this particular case, Nathan is a story-focused DM. He wants to advance the story and cares less about the mechanics and the rules to get there. On the other hand, I like rules. Shocker, I know. But <laughs> but yeah, so I'm a firm believer that the DM roles should be open and the dice are the final arbiter of every situation. If you roll a result, the players can see that you rolled that result and that is the result, period. And in the event of players seeing the roles for something they're encountering or a monster or whatever, then I trust my players. That is the social contract that I play under that. Okay. Even if they can see something, because I also don't use a DM screen to hide behind, then I just can trust my players that they will not metagame. So metagaming is not separating what the player knows from what the characters know. And it is also quite a topic of debate amongst D&D players. So being able to know, uh, using Troll as a good example, I, Remy, know Trolls fire acid to kill. Morris, my character, does not know that. So even though I have knowledge, I don't use that knowledge if the character doesn't have that knowledge. And that is, again, part of my agreement with Nathan is that I am playing a uneducated character. So even though I have a lot of knowledge about how certain things work, my character doesn't. So he's not going to act in a certain way because he doesn't know. And thank goodness, otherwise the show would be in a very, very different place. <laughs> oh man, if I ever got to play a schemer type character where I can have all of my knowledge, oh, that'd be fun. But a very, very different game style, yes. So for the character that I rolled and the character that I'm playing, it is what it is, and I am having fun with it. So good. Uh, moving on. So this one is somewhat obsolete in this era of playing online, but in in-person on paper games, it's good to make sure that the DM has access to up-to-date character sheets because a DM's job, well, one small part of the many, many hats they have to wear is to balance the things that the party faces. If they don't have an up-to-date record of, oh yeah, you're this level now, and oh yeah, you got that magic item that makes you much more tanky now. If a DM doesn't have accurate character knowledge, then their job is a whole lot harder than it needs to be, and it's something easily fixable. So players, please just make sure your DM has an up-to-date character sheet. It's an easy thing to do, and just helps. All right, so on a lighter note, well, not lighter per se, but easier one. Uh, also part of the agreement between everyone, how long is the session? How long is the campaign expected to be? Just do we all have the same expectations when we're going to sit down? 
And if you are planning to, ah, yes, uh, we're going to sit down for four hours and we'll probably take a bathroom break at some point in the middle. And yes, this is just what we all agree to. We know that when we sit down, so we don't know, oh, what? We're going to play for six hours? I've got plans then. I can't do that. To just know what you're doing and be able to make plans accordingly. Yes. And on that note, I would like to talk about, um, for example, the current social contract we have in regards to this kind of thing on the show. For example, um, we always we decide a time to start, like basically join the call, basically a point of time that we gather. After that, when do we actually start playing the game? Then generally speaking, the general expectation is that we will go on for about anywhere between two to four, depending on how the game kind of happens. So also by knowing how long the session is going to be, you can plan breaks accordingly. If you're only going to plan or only planning to play for two hours, then it's easy to just make the agreement. Okay, we're going to play for two hours. Everyone just go to the bathroom ahead of time. Let's not waste time in the middle by taking a break if we're only going to play a short time. So, kids, in and out of game is important to a lot of people. Especially, well, not especially, but in a lot of movies, it's considered to be the correct thing to do to not kill the kid or the dog. You're just not supposed to. And that is a very emotional topic for a lot of people. So having an understanding of that ahead of time is a good thing. So generally speaking, there are a list of topics that you may want to bring up to just get an idea of what is okay and what is not okay in the game. So is this going to be a grittier kind of game where bad things can happen to anyone? Is this a world where torture could happen or is it going to just be a fade to black moment where you say, you know, the person breaks out the tools and you might describe it and then you might flash back to other characters in the prison and they just hear screams, but you don't get explicit about what is happening. And the same can be said for sex in the game is it do you really want to role play that or just, yes, you, you know, fall in love with this NPC and you, you know, go get a room and fade to black. You just don't need necessarily to talk about that. But having that understanding of what is in the game is good. Uh, or on the darker side of things, rape is unfortunate thing to say the very least. but historically speaking it did happen a lot and if that's a topic that you want to address in your D&D game is uh, I don't want to say worth mentioning because I'd rather just have that be an automatic no don't do that but that's up to you and how you want to play your game I will just say in a world where zone of truth and such magic exists, truth serum exists, 
at least it's a much more enforceable crime than it is in our own world. So hopefully it's a less rampant issue than it is and has been in the real world. Moving on to a less down topic, booze and weed, both in and out of game, honestly. So do you find it acceptable to be a little bit buzzed, whether that is from alcohol or weed, when sitting down to play? And how do you want to handle use of those substances in your game? So as an example, Gorif got access to an infinite mead flask and went excessive to it. Really, really excessive with it. And to the point where we decided that, oh, he drank enough to just get alcohol poisoning and get hospitalized. So we decided to use his excessive use when he first got it as a lesson to both Gorif and Caden, who plays them, to not do that. Don't drink that much. It's bad. <laughs> and, and this is honestly a big cause and one of the largest reasons for why the entire um, last few episodes have been so slapstick. <laughs> that flask. So many things happen because of that flask. Anyway, actually, yeah, that brings up another good one. Playstyle. There are a lot of ways to play D&D. You can have it be just hack and slash where you're constantly in combat, killing things, rah, fight, yay. Uh, you could have a more intrigue type game where you're having difficult political issues or intrigue. You could have a heist type situation if you want to go Ocean's Eleven with that. There's a lot of different ways to play. D&D is awesomely flexible like that. So if you are setting up a game and everyone builds like tanks and damagey characters and you throw them into an intrigue style game, well, a player might be upset at that. Like, dude, what the hell? You know, you should have told us we were playing an intrigue game. We could have made characters better suited to that. Though, um, come to think of it, can you imagine a game that is set in a political intrigue where effectively the players are those <laughs> bruises and stuff that happen to do all the dirty work behind the scenes? That'd be brilliant. <laughs> I mean, if our party was asked to try to do an intrigue style mission it just wouldn't go well would it be a bit funny to do it once yeah absolutely we are so not suited to that that it would just not go well i cannot conceive of it going well but to play a campaign of that with our current characters would just be unsuited because we are not characters for that environment uh, just a quick one, language at the table. Some people do not like the use of foul language. So asking about that and having an agreement on what is or isn't acceptable language is good to know. Honestly, no more on that need be said. Uh, voices. Whether you want to use character voices just to have that expectation before you start a game is, again, yet another thing worth asking about. Uh, Actually, on the subject of voices, just so y'all are aware, 
that is a subject we'll probably cover in a full episode at some point in the future. One one thing that I do recommend if you are a DM and you want your players to do this more, basically use voices more, is to use voices yourself so that basically if a player were to do a voice, they wouldn't feel so embarrassed by being the only one who did so. Yeah, it is a thing where if only one person is doing that, that could definitely be uncomfortable. So having consensus in all things of Dungeons and Dragons is a good thing. All right, next up, cancellation. So if you can't make a session, how do you deal with that? Do you not play if one person can't make it? Do you play and have their character go off doing something else? Do you have them there but kind of puppeted by somebody else and just like, oh yeah, they're there, they just weren't very talkative that day? So having an agreement on how to treat their character is important because if you don't have such an agreement and you have the character being driven by someone else and the character is killed while the player whose character it is had no input at all on the situation, dick move, don't be a dick. And also on that note, if roles don't go your way, just accept that. Unfortunately, I have seen encounters where someone has, you know, wanted to flip the table even just because something particularly bad happened to the character. But it's D&D. It is a game of magic where a lot of good things can happen, but bad things can also happen. And unfortunately, that is just something we all have to accept. Another thing about rolling dice is um, one thing I recommend to any player is say what you do before you roll for it because your dm might just give it to you one such example will be caden who keeps on rolling before (laughs) i actually tell him what's going on because sometimes i'm just like okay that's a piece of information that i just give you because most of the time being as remy has said a story focused dm i do not put unnecessary blockages um, that prevent players from knowing stuff about lesser things that do not pertain to the main story. And on the rules side of that, it does mention that you're only supposed to roll when there is a chance of failure. If the player has a question and the DM just says, yes, your character would know that, here's the information, there's no need to roll because the character would know that. So just ask the DM. You don't need to roll for everything. If you're in a situation where you need to, let's say, climb a wall, it's a 10-foot wall. So even if you fall, you're not going to get hurt. You're in an area that is not being patrolled by guards. You don't need to ask your characters to roll an athletics check for that because even if they fail the first time they'll get there eventually and it's a low enough height that they won't take damage so there's no need for dice rolls so don't ask for dice rolls when you don't need to Uh, sorry that's not exactly a social contract related but good general advice Uh, moving on don't hog the spotlight and this can apply to both the dungeon master and player side of things. So there are a lot of situations where one character will have the obvious advantage to be 
in front for a situation. So if you're having a negotiation with dwarves and you have a charismatic dwarf in your party, it would make sense to let them take the lead. If you're in a combat situation and you've got someone who does stupid amounts of damage, it makes sense for them to be in front and kind of have the spotlight when they just cleave something in half and move on. But it is very easy to try to claim too much of the spotlight. And this is a cooperative game. So if your character has no reason to continually take the front spot, don't give other characters a chance to shine as well. We all have things that we're good at as characters, and everyone deserves the chance to show that off. Like in our last episode, uh, 10, I believe, then there was a lot of diplomacy to happen, and Morris, not so good at that. So I don't know if I spoke more than five sentences the entire episode, because I didn't need to, and I gave the other players the chance to do stuff. So uh, one final thing, it thankfully applies at less, arguably, in online games than in person, but have have everyone just agree. Don't just stare at your phone the whole time if you're playing an in-person game or if you're playing online. Don't play Minecraft when you're supposed to be playing the game. Just <laughs> pay attention. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't specific for a reason. It was. Kaden, if you're listening to this, hi. Oh, I could swear that you were just going to see Kaden if you're listening to this. Fuck you. I just was expecting it. I'm kind of surprised you didn't. I'm, I'm, Remy, I'm much nicer than you give me credit for. Bullshit? Okay, let's end this episode then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, in summation, social contract, agreement of what you will or potentially won't do in game. It is a good thing, but don't overcomplicate it if you don't need to. In short, don't be a dick. Thanks for listening to this episode of Riffs and Rules. Please leave us a review and give us five stars on iTunes. Also, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast. We've just released the first episode, or shall I say the prequel of the show, where we check out what the Marauders are up to. Tears start as low as a dollar, which is where you get access to the Marauder episode. And even that much really helps us out. Supporters get benefits such as behind the scenes content, early access to episodes, access to the Patreon Discord, where you'll be able to chat with the cast, and even a shout out on the show. Find us on social media, on Twitter at RevWake Podcast, on Facebook as RevWake, and on Reddit, on the subreddit, r slash Podcast. And now, Send us an email, riffsandrules at gmail.com. That's riffs, A-N-D, rules at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye. Uh We did it. Like one smooth transition. We're getting used to this. Yeah. Okay. uh, I'm going to stop the recording. You know how to book flights and hotels. 
all you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.